Good morning. Today's scripture reading is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 10. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the reading of God's word. Well, let's turn one more time to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, we're going to read verses 27 through 30 for one final time. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. This is the word of the Lord. We are looking one final time at this passage, and we've looked at it. We, we, I think I interrupted it once for the Lord's Supper. We did a little sermon on the Lord's Supper. But we've looked at it. This will be the third time, the last time. And we looked first at that verse 27 where it says that you and I are only to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about that's a very comprehensive command. That's that one command. It's universal. It's conduct your life in this way. It's constant. And it's a command, we said, 
that you and I are to follow. Second, we looked at the fact that if we conduct ourselves, that word that he uses, Paul uses there, is that we are to see ourselves as citizens of heaven. There's a double allegiance here. He's playing off the fact that these are Romans who live in Philippi, and they're proud to be Roman citizens who are under Nero at that time. But they have a higher allegiance, and that is to Jesus Christ, and we are to see ourselves in the same way. We live in the United States. You know, we, we're, you know what did I say? It, where at least I know I'm free. You know, we, we live in the United States, right? And we have an allegiance to the United States, but our final and ultimate allegiance is to obey God and not men. Mm-hmm. Well, last week we looked at a citizen. What is this citizen who's in heaven, who lives with his feet on the earth, what does that person look like? And we said that person looks like this. They stand together, not alone. Sometimes we stand alone. But we are to stand together in one spirit. We're to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And we are to exercise undaunted courage in the face of our stampeding enemies. Remember we talked about stampeding enemies. So today we want to look at, and we could call this sermon a theology for Christian suffering, or we could say it's a mini theology of Christian suffering. And I want to give you two points today. The first one is the exposition of this text, and the second point is the application. And under each one, there's going to be four things I want to look at. Under the exposition, we're going to look at four things. And the first thing in verses 29 and 30, we want to look at the privilege of suffering. Look at verse 29. We're just going to pound the tar out of verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, the emphasis is on but also. It's on but also. Not only has it been granted to you to believe in him, but also to suffer for Christ's sake. The emphasis is on suffering. So it's been granted to us. What's the word granted mean? <laughs> it's like goodwill. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't go out and earn it. This is something that God gives to us out of his good will, out of his love. Now, when I was uh, training people, and um, I was, it, it's one of these weird things, but I was training people in the morning, and I was working for Tyler Presbyterian Church the rest of the day. And so uh, one one. In 2010, a church in Dunedin, New Zealand, there's the Reformed Church of New Zealand, they called me and they asked me if I would consider coming over there and checking out whether I should be a minister there. And so there's one of the women that I trained, she found this out. She came up to me and she said, tell me all about it. And I said, okay, I told her all about it. It'd be 20 days, I have to preach seven times. I'm just going to be preaching in meetings all day long, it seemed like. And she, she immediately, she pulls out her pulls out her checkbook and she writes a check out for $2,500. This will help you do this. I said, (laughs) okay, after I picked myself off off the floor, I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't ask for it. She just asked me what was going on and she gave me this money to go try this out, see if this is where God wants you to go. It was her act of goodwill. And this is what God is doing. He gifts us. He gives to us, grants to us, Suffering. Think about that. So the Apostle Paul is telling Philippians that suffering comes for Christ's sake. We're going to suffer at the hands of a stampede of enemies, 
our opponents. It's going to be freely given to us. This suffering is physical and also spiritual. And it's present tense. Now, this church, this is one of the things we should think about. This church is how old? Do you all know how old this church is? Remember, it's 10 years old. Let, let me put it in perspective. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a little strange here, but okay. How many years have you guys been in the OPC? 50? 50 years? Okay, now watch this. There, there's, there's churches who have people, generations of Christians. That's a benefit, a privilege, a wonderful, powerful thing in a church. This church is 10 years old, and they don't have generations of Christians. One of the things that I like to do when I look at commentators is I want to see if a commentator, I want to see how long his family's been a Christian. How many generations have been Christians? One of the men I like to read, he's got five generations of Christianity, and he seems to be one of the best commentators. I wonder why. The experience. Well, these guys are little babies, 10-year-old babies, if you will. And so they're there. They're being persecuted. Why are they being persecuted? Because they're citizens of heaven with their feet on the earth. And so they're not serving an idol. They're not bowing down to idols. They're not bowing down and giving all ultimate um, allegiance to Nero. And so because of this, they are going to be persecuted. They they serve the Lord's Supper, and they're people who see them going through the Lord's Supper. They hear them say, this is my body and this is my blood, and they call them cannibals. Now, we all know that's not what's happening, don't we? But that's what enemies do with things that we're doing sometimes. And so these folks are being persecuted. And then on the other hand, there's Jews on the other side of the Gentiles who are persecuting these 10-year-old Christians in Philippi who are seeking to say that the cross of Christ is a stumbling block. So they're in the middle of this. They present Christ, they live a godly life, and they're challenging their neighbors with their immorality. They're challenging their neighbors who are idolatrous. They're challenging their neighbors, and they're the odd man out. And so what are they going to need? Well, they're going to need some instruction. And so that's where this theology of suffering comes from. And we want to make sure, Paul makes sure, he's going to tell us it's granted that you suffer. He's saying something here. He's saying something by not saying many other things. It's not due to some accident that you're suffering. Okay? It's not due to some set of circumstances. This suffering is not due to the fact that God is a loving Father and you've done something wrong and He's going to come and correct you and make things, you know, get you close back close to Him by giving you a little spanking or an admonition, right? That's not what we're talking about here. This is not the general suffering that we all go through because we live on, the, on this planet of fallen earth. And, you know, by the time you're 61, you're hurt a little bit more, right? See, Kyle, he doesn't hurt as much as me. But we, it's not because we're in a fallen world and we're dealing with, you know, growing older and the pains of growing older. This is not the suffering that's due to us at times because we act like obnoxious Christians. Sometimes we paint a billboard on our back because we have, we, we're Christians who act poorly. We don't you know, have good manners as Christians and sometimes we ask for uh, some suffering. This is totally the opposite of that. Paul is saying, let's set the record straight. This suffering is freely granted to every person who believes. Calvin said this, this suffering is nothing less than a sign that these 
Philippian Christians have been adopted into the family of God. Well, second, the parallel privilege of believing. Look at verse 29 again. We'll read it to you again. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. The emphasis is on but also, but we have to realize that both of these go together. In fact, the suffering always comes after the believing. Now, if we go and we look at repenting, we say that repent. I don't have a coin in my pocket, but if I did, I could say on one side of the coin there's heads, the other side of the coin there's tails, and these things, they go together, always. But suffering doesn't go before faith. Faith always comes, and then there's suffering, always this order. And they both come together. It's been freely bestowed on you, the gift of believing, and freely bestowed on you, the gift of suffering. They go together. So let's think about this believing. It's been once and for all granted, past completed action. It's been once and for all granted for you to believe. Present tense. This thing happened. And then this thing that you get, this, this belief that you have, it's present tense. It's always there. It's always, once it's there, it's real. It, it always holds on to Christ. It always loves Christ. It never stops being in love with Christ. It always preoccupied with Jesus Christ. It has been granted, handed over to you as a gift for you to, present tense, believe. Now, every one of us will admit whether we've been raised in a Christian home and we never knew a day where we didn't know about Jesus Christ or every one of us who didn't grow up in a Christian home, we came to know Jesus Christ later, every one of us, we may think that we were seeking Jesus. We may think that we found Jesus on our own. But there comes a point in time where these words have to stick in our craw, if you will, because we're being taught by this text and the whole tenor of the Bible that this is something granted to us. Did you get that? Granted to us. It's a gift to us. So all of us at some point in time, we come to realize that we are sinners and that we need a Savior and that God provides the Savior in the person of Jesus. And this thing happens in the past tense. We realize God gave this to us. And so here we are. We are running around and some of us were like Abraham. I like Abraham. Abraham's in Ur the Chaldees doing his own business, worshiping his own idols and connected to all the people of his, of his family. And he's out there. And that's like some of us. Some of us just doing our own thing. Some of us are like Saul. Some of us are hating every single person who follows Jesus Christ. Some of us are like the blind man in John chapter 9. Jesus comes out of the temple and he walks by the blind man. Do you think the blind man knows it's Jesus? He's blind, he doesn't know. That's what some of us are like. Jesus walks by, we don't even know it's him. Jesus, the words of Jesus are being preached, we don't even know he's talking. Some of us are like Cornelius, we fear God, but we don't know, we're not saved. Some of us are like Lydia, we're down by a river and we're praying, but we still aren't saved. And some of us are like the eunuch who's in his excursion, and he's out there reading the Bible, and he's still not saved. You see, still not saved. And then, then it was granted to them that they would come to believe. Then Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he puts his faith in. In God, Then, you see, Jesus comes to you and says, you're on the wrong side of me, 
Have you been found to be on the wrong side? I mean, then he, you're underneath judgment. You're being led by the hand. And then there's this little bitty man who comes to you. Maybe a, a pipsqueak Christian comes to you and says, you need to call on the name of the Lord like Ananias. You know, one of the things that always uh, kind of thrills me about Charles Spurgeon, everybody loves Charles Spurgeon. Go, go look at but Charles Spurgeon. Well, Charles, Spur, Charles Spurgeon, by the time he was like 15, I don't know how many thousands of comic books he read. Grew up in a Christian home. He's going to go and listen to a minister, and he couldn't get there. I think the weather stopped him from going where he was going to go, but there's a lot of churches where he lived. So he went to this little church. He expected a certain man to preach, and that man was sick. And so this old elder stood up, and he said these words. He couldn't put two words together. And he looked at him, he looked at Spurgeon, and he said, Turn your eyes to God. Spurgeon's eyes were on his sin. Spurgeon is Mr. Smart, knows all this stuff, but he's still only looking at his sin. And this old man couldn't put two words together. God uses him to focus his eyes on Christ. And he was saved. And he had to humbly say it wasn't because of some great masterful sermon, but it was some old man who said, turn your eyes to God. Is it going to take that? Here you are, you're in your chariot driving down the road, your excursion, your Tahoe, whatever it is, and you're reading your Bible and then God grants it to you. Maybe it's Peter coming to your house or maybe it's Paul coming to the, coming to the river where you're praying. You know what's really interesting about Lydia is that she's the only one we're told that God opened up her heart that day. God granted it to these folks and he grants it to us that we might believe. It happened and then we put our faith and we put this trust in Christ and we never stop. It's not flash in the pan kind of faith. It's faith that always continues to the bitter end. So we see the parallel privilege of believing in Christ in the midst of this suffering. Well, third, the purpose of suffering. Look at verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe, but also to suffer for whose sake? For his sake. For Jesus' sake. In the passage that um, Mr. Moore read, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says that the apostle talks about suffering for Christ's sake. Philippians 1, 29, it tells us that the Philippians were going to suffer for Christ's sake. So their suffering and our suffering is to be for the glory of Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 9, you all know the story. So here's Saul. He's being confronted by Jesus. And he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But, but you see, I thought that when you know, Saul was persecuting these people, he was persecuting Stephen and those followers. And Jesus stands there and says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Jesus is identifying himself with Stephen and with those he persecutes. He identifies himself with his people. So when you persecute these people, you persecute me. When you stone Stephen, you stone me. You're doing it to me. And Jesus, he grants to us the gift to identify with him even as he identifies with us. And when we do this, when we identify with him, it's our opportunity to suffer with him and give him something in return. We're not giving him anything for our salvation. We have an opportunity to glorify him 
and to give Jesus a gift. He identified with our sins. He identified with our need. He went to the cross on our behalf. And how can we stand, not stand for him? How can we not give up our possessions to him? How can we not give up all our pleasures for him if he says, Sir, sell all that you have and give to the, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. <laughs> if you realize you have treasure in heaven, if you realize this Jesus, he gave up everything for you, will you not give up everything in return if need be? Give up your name. Give up your body. Give up your body as living sacrifices. This is what Charles Simeon wrote. Surely, much as we are indebted to God for the gift of faith, the giving us an opportunity to honor Him should be esteemed a far richer obligation. Nor should anything we possess be of any value in our sight if we may but have the honor of sacrificing that for His sake. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Don't worry about losing your name. Don't worry about your losing your body. He gave His all. We give our all in honor of Him. Well, finally, the pastoral compassion we find in verse 30. He says, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. This is... Paul is in Rome. He's hundreds of miles away from these Philippians, and he tells them that he knows. You, they saw the struggle that he had there. Remember the struggle. Remember he was punished. He, I mean, he was, he was beaten with rods and put in a prison. And they know that. And he tells them, you're experiencing what you saw in me. And you're experiencing what you see to be in me in Rome. You, and I put this in here, I like the ladies, please think of yourselves as gladiators and go watch the movie. It's, did you know that movie's 22 years old? It's a little bloody, but it's still one of my favorite shows. <laughs> you are a gladiator and you are to stick it together and wrestle together. Paul said, experiencing the same thing you saw in me. We are together in this. We're not alone. We're not separated from one another, but we are together. And this is the compassion that he gives to these Philippians. Well, this is the exposition of the text. We've looked at the privilege of suffering, the parallel privilege of believing, the purpose of our suffering, which is to give glory to Christ, and finally the compassion that Paul pours into their hearts. Let's, let's make some applications. The gift of faith and the gift of suffering, they go hand in hand. Where there's faith, there will be suffering. I want to give you four texts to show you that this is the truth. And the first text is this. In Matthew 5, chapter, chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, we call those the what? The Beatitudes. All right? Listen to these Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's what looking to Christ comes, looks like. That's what coming to Christ looks like. We come as those who are poor. We come as those who go to the bank vault. We go to the bank and we say, I need to take out some of my money. And they say, yeah, there's none in it, none, none, none in your account. There's not any in there. If you look in there, they'll go just say, well, there's filthy rags in there. There's nothing in there. You're bankrupt. We come and we don't have any righteousness that's our own that we can present to God. And so we begin to mourn over our lack of 
righteousness. We begin to mourn over our sins and we begin to be those people who are broken and we are humble and we need someone to get on our saddle and ride us. That's what the word gentle means. And then we hunger and we thirst after righteousness. And this is looking for wealth that we don't possess in ourselves. This is looking for a righteousness that's not in me, not in my bank account. And we hunger and we thirst and we find Jesus. And guess what? God imputes Jesus' righteousness into our bank account. And we are right with God. This is imputed righteousness. Now we're right with God. We have a new relationship with Jesus and God the Father through Jesus. We have imputed righteousness. Now here's the thing. Do you graduate from being poor in spirit? Do you ever graduate from mourning over your sin? Do you ever graduate from being gentle and hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Answer, no. (laughs) You continue. We need imparted righteousness now. We have imputed righteousness. I have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. And now I continue to be poor in spirit. I continue to be a person who wants to be more like Jesus Christ. I look at my bank account and I go, oh, I'm not exactly. Remember we talked about... uh, Holy discontentment. I'm still holy discontent. I'm not where I want to be. So I mourn over myself. I'm going, Lord, please, please ride in my, my saddle, and I want you to make me more holy. And that brings us to verse 7 of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful. Well, I'm going to go out as a person who's, who's seeking to be sanctified. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to be forgiving. Why am I going to be forgiving? Because I've been forgiven And so I'm going to go out, I'm going to not hold grudges, and I'm going to work on being forgiving towards all those around me. I'm going to be pure in heart because I know the pure in heart see God. I'm going to be single-minded. And, you know, I think it was A.W. Pink who said, you know what the definition of pure in heart is? He said, it's somebody who understands they're not pure in heart and they desperately want to be. (laughs) You with me? They understand they're not, but they want to be. And then this person who wants to be pure in heart, he's a peacemaker. God's made peace with me through Jesus Christ. And now I go out and I seek to make peace with everybody I can as far as it is possible with me. And then to all these beatitudes, oh no, here comes number 10. Are you ready for it? (laughs) Are you ready for it? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. There they are. Here's the the two irreconcilable worldviews coming head to head. You love Jesus and these guys don't. You're going to run into each other. And if you're poor in spirit, if you're mourning over sin, man, that's very different than the world, isn't it? When the world's teaching people how to sin. Mm When the world's saying, let me, let me help you out to think about it and do these things. You and I are going to face persecution. Well, text number two, John 15, 19 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. There it is again. Do we love to talk about being chosen by Jesus Christ? 
Do we love to talk about election? Do we love to, about, to talk about being Jesus' friend? We do, don't we? And if we are his friend, we will be persecuted. Well, we turn, the third text is Romans eight fourteen through 18. Now, some people, I think Mr. Larson read part of that on our Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting this week and uh, talked about the fact that it's the great eight, right? The great chapter eight. And we love it because it says things like, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We love it because we like to hear that if God is for us, who can be against us? We love it. But here's what it says in verse 14, talking about suffering. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, there are, su- there are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer. Are you a child of God? Are you an heir of God and the Son? Are you calling God Father, Abba, Father? Well, if you are, then you will indeed suffer. And following that, he says, so that we may also be glorified with him. First the cross, then the crown. First the suffering, then the glory. Well, finally, the fourth text. 2 Timothy 3.12. Let's make sure that we have this down now. Wherever there's faith, there's going to be suffering. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some, not a few. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. For to you it has been granted, verse 29, that you not only believe in Jesus Christ, but also suffer for his sake. Faith and suffering, they go hand in hand. Second, the suffering and persecution takes, this suffering and persecution takes all types of shapes and forms. Now, how many of the disciples of Jesus, how many of them died martyrs' deaths? Eleven, right, eleven. <laughs> and then one didn't. And what happened to him? It wasn't pleasant. If you ever go out and go to a, a dictionary and look up a picture of Patmos where John went in exile, it doesn't look fun. All the other eleven died, but John goes to the Isle of Patmos. All, these, all this uh, suffering comes in different shapes and forms. Years ago, there was a, a big, big mega church in China, and the Chinese government dynamited that thing to the ground. That's kind of threatening <laughs> to, Christian, to Christians. But it's not just dynamite. It comes in the form of threats. Persecution comes in the form of insults. comes in the form of people calling us haters. comes in the form of being at work and being shunned. Uh, comes in the form of not being invited to the party. I mean, I'm 40 years old working in the gym and not being invited to very many parties. I wasn't invited to certain conversations. And I can only imagine what that, the impact of that is for a, a younger person who's not quite old, as, as old as I was. Because you see, 
I knew I had a church family. And I knew I had a pastor. And I knew I had friends. And you guys, you young guys, you need to understand, you have to stand for Christ now. And you have to go and find your family who will help you now. And you have to have that faith in Jesus Christ now. Build that relationship with Jesus now. It's going to come in all kinds of forms. And today we're, who knows, we may have laws against Christianity because they call what I'm doing right now hate speech. But we are going to suffer. And suffering sometimes mom and dad is going to take place when we seek to parent according to God's word. Have you suffered the wrath of a child when you've crossed them? Why are you doing that? I didn't do anything. Well, yeah, why are you doing that? Why did you say that? And they get angry. Are you willing to endure that suffering in order to teach them God's word and teach them there's a wrath to come that's much worse than you crossing them? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, these are the facts. You're different. You're citizens of heaven with your feet on the earth. You know that Jesus is the only way. You worship on Sunday. You don't use coarse language. You don't tell the filthy jokes of your friends. You don't go and talk to the girls about their exploits on the weekends. You don't go and do the things the guys do, looking on the internet at the things they shouldn't be looking at. You're different than this. And because you're different, you're going to be persecuted. Unless, of course, you're fitting right in. One of the things Evan came back from immersion, he said this. He said he was talked to by a counselor, and they said this. Are you being influenced or are you an influencer? (laughs) Are you being influenced or are you an influencer? Are we being influenced? Are we cozying up with the world so much so that nobody would even have evidence to even think that we're Christian? No persecution for the person who acts like the world. No persecution for the person who's swimming downstream with everybody else. Talking the talk, living the, living the life, telling the jokes, dressing immodestly. Are we trying to have our cake and eat it too? Are we trying to be in the world and in Christ at the same time? Some people are trying. But if you and I, if we have this faith, this real faith that's been granted to us once and for all in Christ, we are going to suffer. We're going to be poor in spirit. We're going to be mourning over our sins. We're going to be gentle, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and then we're going to be persecuted. And Jesus tells us that we will be hated because we love him and love to know that we are his elect people. And if you and I desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will be suffering unless, of course, we're fitting right in. Well, finally, you're not alone. Um, I, I wrote down in my notes today, you're not in this by yourselves. Think about that. Let's just write that down. You're not in this by yourselves. He pours this into these Philippians' hearts. You saw it in me. You now see it to be in me. You're not alone because we're doing this together. Satan wants us to believe that we're all alone. Well, let me tell you something to do when you start thinking that you're all alone. Call your friend. Call a friend. Call your friends. Go to the Bible study and don't neglect to go to the Bible study. Call your friends. Call your church friends. You're not alone. The word conflict here is the same word that's used 
when he says, you saw this conflict in me, it's the same word that's used in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is crying out to God in prayer about taking the cup or not. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, and this is what happens on the cross. He goes there, and he is alone. He's in solitary confinement on the cross. God forsakes him completely so that you will never have to be alone. You know, I don't know, guys. I buried many husbands in the past few years. And I sat down with every one of these women, and I told them the same thing. And this is what I told them. I said, your kids are going to leave. Your sons and your daughters are going to leave. All the grandkids are going to leave, and all the fixings and all the food is going to be taken off the table, and you're going to be at home by yourself. And he's not going to be in bed beside you. You're going to be laying there in the bed alone, but I want you to remember one thing. This person who went to the cross for you, he is with you. When all the family's not there. Now, they're for you, but they're not going to be there at that moment. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you. He says, I'll never forsake you. He says, lo, I'm with you. How long? Always. Always. And when you go to bed at night, you need to hold on to these promises. You need to hold on to Jesus. He says, whether you can see him there or not, he says he's going to be there. He says he's going to take care of us. He says we're not alone. He suffered all of that on the cross so we would never, ever be alone. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for, Lord, we don't necessarily relish the idea of suffering, but Lord, how can we not when you've loved us so much? when you've gone to the cross for us, when you've done everything necessary to save us from our sin. Lord, we, unlike the rich young ruler, we sell it all. We give up all that we might have treasure in heaven. We follow you. And Lord, we know that as we do, we are going to suffer, but we are not going to suffer without our brothers and sisters in Christ. And ultimately, when we lay down and pillow our head in the bed at night, we grasp hold of Jesus in this promise. We thank you for teaching us this today. And we ask as we leave that we would hold fast to Jesus with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, with all our souls. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.